So um, this week, we're going to talk about selfless giving. One of our shared values is selfless giving. We're going to talk about it because we value the extravagant pouring out of our resources, hoping that every selfless act will communicate our love for God and our love for others. And I can honestly say we truly value that. Every decision that we make is, is kind of coming from all those shared values. But this one is a, is a really good one because it is, I guess all of them are very foundational. But there's something about this one. It really is our heart. And I can go into all kinds of ways to show and to teach and maybe give examples of, uh, of selfless acts. But what I'd like to do is just spend some time showing how our aim really more than anything else uh, as individual parts of the body. We are one body. We're many members, but we make up one body. How individually our aim should be, again, as part of the whole, to live selfless lives. Not just to, not just to do a, a selfless act here and there in the midst of a selfish life. That's not what we aim for. That's not even uh, biblical. It's not, it's not, it doesn't exemplify Christ in our life. The idea is that we live a selfless life. We are consistently selfless. And as I thought about it this week, what, what angle do we come from? Because we actually talk about being selfless and, and giving of ourselves and going out and being this and, and being that kind of all the time. And I thought this week, you know what? Let's do this. Let's paint a picture. If we're trying to be selfless, let's paint a picture of self. What is self? You know, if you go to the dictionary, uh, self is defined as a person's nature or a person's uh, character. If you've ever taken philosophy or if you're into the whole philosophy thing, self is kind of equated with, with ego. And ego is defined as the consciousness of your own identity, a keen awareness of yourself, self-esteem, self-image, that which knows, that which desires, that which suffers, a keen awareness of ourselves, conscious, uh, a conscious, uh, consciousness of our own identity. That's self, our human nature, our our. our our character, our nature, uh, that keen awareness of who I am. And so if you think about being selfless, that's really simply defined as well. It's, it's having little or no concern for one's self. Especially in the areas of fame and position and money, that's kind of what we equate ego with, you know, like being egotistical, wealth, fame, money, position, titles, all those kinds of things. But, but the simplicity of the definition is simply to have little or no concern for oneself or one's own interests. My favorite definition of selfless is devoted to others' welfare or interest and not one's own. Now, some of you guys may be taking notes, and I want you to write this down. To live a selfless life is to live with less of our self in mind. Very simple. To live a selfless life is to live with less of our self in mind. A real simple way of, of looking at that is selfless equals less self. Wouldn't you guys agree with that? 
To be selfless means that there's less of myself involved in the picture. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of narcissism. How many of you have ever heard that word, narcissism? Some of you that study philosophy or this, I'm not a philosopher. Don't even, don't even think that I have something on that arena. But I am familiar with narcissism because narcissism really is actually a, a personality trait. It's a personality trait of egotism, vanity, conceit, selfishness. You with me? That's narcissism. And uh, it's like saying, um, man, that guy is just seriously narcissistic. All he thinks about is himself. All she thinks about is herself. And that, that word was really coined uh, kind of in the Greek mythology thing. Again, I'm not into all that kind of stuff, but just familiar with it. There's a, there's a character in Greek mythology called um, Narcissus. And he was a hunter who was renowned for his beauty. He was exceptionally proud in that he rejected those who loved him. As divine punishment, whatever that means in Greek mythology, as divine punishment, he fell in love with his own reflection in a pool, not realizing it was merely an image. And he wasted away to death not being able to leave the beauty of his own reflection. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Did you hear that? He wasted away to death, not being able to leave the beauty of his own reflection. Now I think about that and, and some of the words of the Apostle Paul come to my mind. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You guys familiar with that one? Romans 12, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. By the way, narcissus comes from a, a Greek word, um, narc or narke or narki, however you pronounce it, that means numb or numbness or sleep. Numb, numbness, sleepiness, to be asleep I was thinking this week, when we think too highly of ourselves, it becomes hard to leave the beauty of our own reflection. And we end up going numb. We end up falling asleep to the life Jesus calls us to live. And he has called us to reflect him. That's our calling. Well, I thought it was to be a doctor. Well, that's maybe part of it. But our greatest calling is to reflect Him. Not ourselves. Not to be narcissistic in nature, but to reflect Him. And this is what's happening in the church. I think people are numb. People can't move. They're stuck. People are falling asleep in the body of Christ in the church. Think about Scripture and maybe what you've read of it or have heard or maybe taught. How many times does it say in Scripture to wake up? Wake up, you sleeper. Wake up those who are asleep. Stand stand fast. Watch. Keep an eye out. Wake up. And I I think that God, more than ever, maybe is increasing... The, um, the intensity of that call, the volume of that call. Wake up. And we do need to wake up. 
Because we are way more into ourselves than we ought to be. We just are. Maybe we don't mean to be. Maybe we've been conditioned to be. But bottom line, we are. We're way more into ourselves than we ought to be. If we were to break it down into percentages, I would say 90% of my life is all about me. Maybe you could say the same thing if you start breaking it down. You know, 90% of my life is all about me. This week as I was thinking about these things, thinking about scripture, what's the solution? Okay, I hear you the problem. What's the solution? Let's look at John 3. Can you guys turn there with me? John 3, and we're going to read a little bit of it. John chapter 3. The heading over this section in my Bible says, John's last testimony. Talking about John the Baptist. You guys with me? After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anan near Salim. Because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Some of you may not have known that, but John the Baptist, our beloved John the Baptist, was eventually thrown into prison, was eventually beheaded. He was martyred for his faith. This is what is occurring right now is before he went into prison. So it's important for you to hear and understand today. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, listen, look, he's baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourself are my witnesses that I am not the Christ. I have said this. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Can we say that together? He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, this is the key for selfless living. Right here. You look at the two words. Increase, decrease. Increase, it means to become greater or more. To become greater or more. He must become greater. He must become more. The word decrease actually means to go lower. It means to go lower. It comes from a root word that means less. So he must become more. I must become less. Let's point, point up and say, he must become more. Say that. He must become more. And just grab your heart here and say, I must become less. This is the key to selfless living, selfless giving, selfless anything. 
Now, these are the words of John the Baptist. And you think about John the Baptist, it's like, is there any man that has ever been lower than John the Baptist? I mean, this guy um, has decreased like nobody's business. Think about his life. Maybe you don't know some of these things, but John the Baptist was, he lived out in the desert all alone. If you look at uh, uh, Luke one fifteen, it talks about how he... Um, was a Nazarite. His parents had, had taken the Nazarite vow for him, which means that he was set apart for the ser- service of God. And there's some intricate details that go along with that. Um, they could not drink any kind of fermented drink, all kinds of stuff. One of the things that a Nazarite could not do was cut his hair. So John the Baptist lived out in the desert all alone. He had long hair. He may have wrapped it up in a little deal, but it was long nonetheless. He didn't shave his face. So more than likely, John the Baptist was a scraggly looking dude you, you, you painting the picture here I mean you, you following so this is part of his life I mean come on <laughs> man need a haircut it says that he basically wore terribly out of style clothes it says that he wore a raiment of camel's hair in other words his garments were made out of camel's hair and then he had a leather girdle about his loins I don't care what anybody says there's no man that should be wearing a girdle much less whatever a, a leather one I don't know so his clothes were awful. His hair is totally messed up. This guy, you know, what did it say that he eat, uh, ate in the, out in the desert? Anybody remember? Locust and wild honey. I mean, can you guys imagine the morning breath after a plate of locust? This guy was probably not much to look at, listen to. And then you think about um, just the fact that he was probably despised by a lot of people, especially religious leaders, because he obviously didn't care about what they thought. His message was a message of repentance, which basically says, you are here, wicked, and you need to change direction and, and, and pursue righteousness. That was his message. It's never a fun message for those who especially are bound up with religiosity in their uh, religious ways. So he wasn't even a favorite in that sense. I mean, surely this guy could be considered lowly, humble, brought low, less. And I think he was. I mean, I think we can all agree that, that John the Baptist was a, was a great guy and he was a great model. But you have to look at Matthew 11, too, because it's very interesting. Let's go ahead and turn there. You'd think he was the epitome of going lower, and I think overall he is. He's a great model of that. But let's look at Matthew 11. I'm going to read a little bit of this. Some of you are familiar with this passage. This is when John the Baptist asks an interesting question to Jesus. And when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, talking about John the Baptist... Now, when John, while in prison, so where is he now? He's in prison now. When John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or should we be looking for someone else? We've been looking for a Messiah for a long time. Are you he or not? Are you the one we've been expecting or not? When you first read this, it just seems out of place for John the Baptist to be asking this question. What is going through his head? All of a sudden, he's asking, are you the one that was sent? And I guess there could be 
several different reasons why he could be asking this question. Maybe he's sitting in prison and, and jealousy began to rise up in him. Because he's in prison and he's kind of out of the game. Jesus is out there healing people and he's raising people from the dead and he's doing all these things. And John doesn't even get to baptize anymore. He's in jail. I'm not saying he was jealous, but it could be that jealousy was rising up in his heart and it kind of tweaked his, uh, his, his mind a little bit. Maybe. Maybe he was bitter that Jesus was helping everyone else in town. All this stuff going on. And here he is, cousin of Jesus. I don't know if you guys knew that, but John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. It's like, can't you even help a cousin out? You know, you know the phrase, help a brother out, help a cuz out. You know what I mean? So he's in here. Maybe bitterness, a root was taking root. I'm not saying that's what it was, but easily could, right? Based upon human nature. Maybe he just realized that he was about to die. Okay, this is for real. I'm in prison. They hate Jesus. I'm pointing the way to Jesus. If they hate him, they're going to hate me. This doesn't look good. This is grim. I'm going to die. So maybe he was just afraid. Maybe there's a sense of lost hope in him. I don't know. I mean, it could be any of these things. Any of these things could have been going through his brain. And listen... It's very natural to be concerned with oneself. It's a very natural thing, especially in times of difficulty. Wouldn't you guys agree? Some of us have been through some tumultuous times, some difficult times, and it's hard not to be concerned with yourself. So we can't fault the guy for something that's very, very, very natural. And maybe these things aren't what was bugging him. Maybe these things aren't why this question was being asked. Maybe at the very least he was just frustrated that Jesus had not yet made the big announcement that he was Messiah. You guys know the Jews were looking for a conquering king, Messiah that would come and deliver them from the rule of Rome and everything else. That's what they were looking for. And even though John the Baptist had a great message of repentance and all those things, he was still very aware of the type of Messiah that that the people as a whole were looking for. So maybe that was creeping in. Jesus, when are you going to let everybody know who you are and what you're about to do? Because think about it, if he, or if and when he would do that, in John's mind, it could be, I'm not saying it is, but it could be that he was thinking, Jesus, just let the cat out of the bag. Let the cat out of the bag, because when you do, it's going to validate my whole life and all of my words. So if you would just let everybody know, because at that time, Jesus wasn't, he wasn't, you know, people knew that he was a Messiah. They kind of understood that he's probably the one. But there's nothing that Jesus did that he didn't go rent a billboard on the side of, you know, the road to Galilee or Damascus and say, Jesus is here. Maybe John was frustrated with that. If you'll just, if you just tell people who you are, that would validate my whole life, my words, my message. Again, we don't even know if that was it, but we do know what Jesus' response was. Let's keep reading. He says... Um, Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to the disciples whom John had sent, Go and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And by the way, add this to the message. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. 
Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, this wasn't a comeback. Jesus wasn't a cocky, arrogant guy. No, he came as a lowly servant, came as a babe. He wasn't a cocky, conquering king. He wasn't trying to put John down. He wasn't trying to cut John down. But I will say this. Jesus had a reason for allowing John to be in prison. He had a reason for continuing to help all the others in town, but allowing John to die a martyr's death. He had a reason for that. He had a reason for explaining to the whole world who he was and what he came to do in a different way. He had a different way of telling everybody that he was the Messiah. So what were these words? Why did Jesus respond to this? As I was reading it this week, and it could be a lot of things, but what I interpreted it as this week in light of what we're talking about was a sweet, gentle reminder to John, John's very own words. I must decrease. He must increase. He must increase. I must decrease. Blessed, fortunate, happy is the man who's not tripped up by my ways, my actions, who doesn't see me and my work as a stumbling block. In fact, you could look at it this way. He must increase, I must decrease. More of his will, more of, uh, less of John's will. Blessed is the man who doesn't take offense at me. More of God's will, less of your will, John. More of God's will, what God was doing and the time frame in which he was doing it. Less of John's will, that John (coughs) would accept what God was doing as right and as good. More of God's will, less of John's will, man's will. And in the moment, it seems that John was pretty concerned with himself. And what did we say self was? Self is a person's nature. His ego, before it's skewed, before it's about vain, other things, an ego is simply a a consciousness of your own Identity or your own reality. Remember what I said. It's it's natural to be concerned with yourself. It's natural. But what I'm trying to say this morning is that this is what God is trying to shape or reshape. Our nature. You guys hear me? He's trying to change our nature. Look at uh, 2 Peter. It's going to be on the screen. 2 Peter 1.4. In fact, I would like for us to read this aloud together. Hopefully you can see this. Let's read this aloud together. Ready? For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. If you're writing things down and you want something to walk out with, write this down. This is just true. And we talked about this all week. There's a couple of things I want to say. God has given us and has promised us a new self. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we kind of been talking about that every week. This is all about transformation. What he has done is he has provided a way for the old self to be gone and the new self to come. 
He has promised a new self. The old self can and it should be tossed away. Let's look at um, Ephesians 4.22. It says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. In reference to your former way of living, lay your old self down, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And there's something else I want you to write down. There is a self-preservation that is inerrant in all of us. Hear me close. We're almost done. There is a self-preservation that is inerrant in all of us. It's natural in us. By nature, we protect what we love and what we hold dear. Is that true or is that not true? That is human nature. That's a huge part of our ego, our self, that we will fight to protect that which we love, that which we esteem, that which we hold dear. Now listen, we may, I'm I'm talking to you right now, we may in this room not necessarily hold dear the beauty of our own reflection, but maybe we're not quite able to leave the beauty of our leisure, our pleasure, our treasure. And I know those rhyme, (laughs) but honestly, I, I did that on purpose. I made it work because this has got to stick. Maybe we're not all into our, we're not all into vanity about the way we look, although that could probably be called into question a lot of times too. Maybe we don't hold dear the beauty of our own reflection like Narcissus. But maybe what we're not able to leave the beauty of is our leisure. When I say leisure, I'm talking about a lifestyle of comfort. Maybe we're not going to leave that one behind. I'm going to hang on to my comfort. Maybe we're not able to leave the beauty of our pleasure. When I say that, I mean a lifestyle of lust. Now that can certainly mean sexual lust, but lust by definition is any craving, any appetite or great desire for something. So you could just plug in what works for you in the area of pleasure, right? Maybe we're not willing to leave the beauty of our treasure. In other other words, a lifestyle of plenty. Now I know that I'm, I'm speaking to the culture that we live in as a whole. Unfortunately, sometimes the culture tends to wrap its little claws around us, even as believers. And as desperately as we're trying to be in the world, but not of it, it can affect us. And our human nature wants to fight to preserve these things. But listen, when we fight to preserve our comfort and to preserve our pleasures and to preserve our treasure, we basically forfeit the ability to be selfless. It's the truth. This is resonating in your heart right now because you know this is truth. One way or the other, this is the whole principle of the gospel message. It's not about us. It's about him. More of him, less of me. More of his will, less of my will, my wants. 
and this, this behavior that we're talking about, fighting to preserve our comfort, our pleasures and our treasures. This is, this is basically described, this describes selfishness. <laughs> this is selfishness. That's selfishness at the core. By definition, devoted to or caring only for oneself to the total exclusion of others. Now, we are all on different levels of selfishness in our life. Those of you who have been married for a number of years, you know <laughs> the driving agent of selfishness that marriage could be. Amen? Raise your hands. You know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have kids, whether it's one or it's many, you know that with each one comes a different level of less of me. Less of me. Why? Because you've got kids all over the place. You know, like rabbits, and I've got to take care of all of them, you know? <laughs> And I don't think any of us want to be labeled selfish. Hopefully our desire is to be selfless. Amen? Now listen, you want to know how to overcome selfishness and to be um, um, selfless, to live a life of selflessness? Less self. Less of you. Less of your Nature. Stop feeding your self. That's what we do our whole life. The 90% revolves around feeding my self. Each week that we've been talking about values and, and, and sharing these things... We've, we've kind of been given a, a, a challenge. And some of you guys have been taking this challenge. I've, I've encouraged you guys to email what God's doing in your life and let us know we want to be praying for you um, individually as a, you know, our staff and, and leaders praying over you. And, um, and some of you guys have been doing that. I would love to hear more of what's going on in your life, what God's stirring in you based upon uh, us all adapting our shared values. This week, what I would like to challenge everybody to do some of you are like, no problem, I do this all the time. Some of you have never done this. If the solution is less of yourself, stop feeding self the best baby step towards that whole lifestyle is, uh, is fasting. It really is. Fasting. And so my, my challenge for everyone this week is to fast one thing, write it down, put it on your refrigerator, email it to a friend, email it to me. Have someone hold you accountable, have someone praying for you during this time, whatever. Fast one thing this week in each of those three areas. Fast something in the area of leisure, comfort. Man, that can look like anything in our lives. What is it that you do to just veg out and get away from it all in your leisure, in your comfort? I just do. Fast that this week. See what happens. And instead of doing that, open the Word of God. Pray. Turn on a worship CD or something. Worship the Lord. Have, have lunch with a friend. Coffee. Encourage someone. Let someone else encourage you. Fast. I encourage you. You don't have to do this, but I encourage you to fast something in your life 
that is about your comfort. Track it with me? Fast something in the area of pleasure. Something that you just crave. Gosh, there's a a long list. It could be anything from chocolate to sports TV. (laughs) You know? Do we have to start that today? (laughs) No, you start it Monday. (laughs) I didn't think about that one. What if I was like, dude, if you go watch the Super Bowl today, you're a heathen. I wouldn't do that. I'll be watching the Super Bowl. What is it that, that you just crave, that you just have to have, you have a great desire, appetite for? And you know, that list could start getting pretty personal in a lot of ways, pretty quick. Fast something in that area. Force less of you in that area. Amen? And the last area is, is treasure. Again, there's a lot of ways that that could, could look like. I mean, how, do you, how do you use your money? What are the things that are just kind of frivolous that really don't matter that you could use on someone else? Remember, 90% of ourselves, a lot of times, it's just all about us. What's a way that you could back off on yourself a little bit in the area of money and find a way to bless someone else and give, provide, you know? That's it. Let's stand.